a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. We are continuing to follow the story coming from uh, just outside of Los Angeles, uh, California, where it was reported earlier today that uh, golfer Tiger Woods uh, has been involved in a very serious accident at Rancho Palos Verdes in California. I may be pronouncing that wrong, uh, but nonetheless, uh, a very serious accident, uh, a rollover accident, one person involved, Tiger Woods. The word from authorities there is that it required the jaws of life to uh, remove Tiger from the vehicle. And according to his agent, uh, it's been reported by uh, numerous outlets that Tiger Woods right now is in the hospital and is undergoing uh, surgery on his legs where he sustained uh, some some injuries. Not sure of his condition or state beyond that. Uh, not sure of the circumstances uh, leading up to that accident. There are some uh, who there locally say that at the early hour when this crash took place, I believe it was about uh, 12 minutes after 7 a.m. in California, that there on this stretch of road can sometimes be wildlife, deer, uh, if that was a factor, it's unknown, but that's where some of the speculation is right now. We'll continue to follow that throughout the day. Uh, right now, we want to shift gears uh, and re- refresh your memory to a conversation which took place on Utah's morning news this morning between uh, Governor Spencer Cox and uh, the morning crew of Utah's morning news. There uh, is a piece of legislation which would uh, essentially alter the way uh, emergency declarations and orders uh, are handled, and it would uh, impact the emergency powers uh, during public health emergencies. Speaking on that topic, uh, Governor Cox explained this morning what emergency power actually is. We don't have too many problems with this bill. In fact, we've been working very closely with the legislature on this. I, I think it's important to understand what emergency powers are. Basically, the idea is that the legislature gives their powers to the governor in case of an emergency because it's too difficult to bring them together. The governor then continued uh, by describing what he thinks the legislature should have, uh, or well, he explains rather that the, the legislature or says that he thinks they should have been more involved. Now, I've asked them not to overreact to something that happens every 100 years. Um, and, and, but the truth is, it, it would be better if the legislature had been more involved during this uh, during this pandemic. You know, they already have this power. They can call themselves into session. They can they can change or override any executive order right now. So so this technically doesn't change things as much as people think. All right. So uh, joining me now, is Senator Evan Vickers, responsible for a piece of legislation that would alter these emergency powers. Senator, welcome to the program. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. 
please react to what the governor said here this morning. Is it true, his estimation, that this piece of legislation wouldn't change much? It wouldn't alter the powers uh, in any substantive degree? It restructures uh, some things and does uh, set up a little bit of different process. He was absolutely accurate in his assessment that all the powers being used, and I think sometimes the, the, those even using the powers forget that, is that even whether it be on a local level, on a county level, or on the state level, all the powers that are being used during a long-term emergency are legislative powers. And so from our perspective, you know, it's appropriate that we have significant oversight over those powers. Uh, the governor's mentioning that, you know, we could have called ourselves in, and, and absolutely, we could have called ourselves into session and, and changed things during, you know, when Governor Herbert was dealing with uh, the COVID situation. There was some catch there, though, because uh, uh, if we did call ourselves in and terminate what he was doing, uh, actually, he it wouldn't prevent him from just doing it the next day, or even having the health department do. In fact, he, we saw that where he he said that okay, I'm not I'm going to stop my declaration, but I'm going to allow the health department to continue on. So we wanted to make sure that that was was governed a little differently. So in the in the bill, that would not be the case. But we had some some boxes we needed to check. One, we have not had a process where we can have significant public input on it. This bill creates that opportunity. We did not have as much legislative involvement. So this also creates an opportunity for multiple legislators, many up to as high as 30, get involved in a committee process, which would hear public input, take uh, emergent or take testimony, expert testimony, and then make recommendations back to the legislature. Also, the governor is accurate, and he has been, he and his staff, especially the lieutenant governor, has taken the lead on this has been working with us, uh, Representative Peterson and myself, and the rest of our, our legislators have been working on it and, and putting the bill together. So, Is this, uh, there is, you know, traditionally, not just here in Utah and, and not just at the state level, but uh, also nationally, a, a lot of uh, pushback and polling uh, between the legislative and the executive branch. Is this an example of that, or do you see this as a collaborative effort that is setting up a system for all to be successful? Uh, do, do, you ha- do you find a partner in the executive branch right now as you work on this? Yes, we do. And this is not unique to Utah. I mean, there's upwards of 17 states that are dealing with their emergency powers that their governor or their executive team has. And so, but I have to admit, this this has been a really uh, great process. And quite frankly, Governor Herbert was good to work with as well. With the new administration on this particular bill has been uh, very good. So we've been working closely and and I think we're getting into a very good place. You know, it passed out of the Senate now. It'll move to the House, and there'll be some more refinement probably, but I think we're getting pretty close. We're speaking with Senator Evan Vickers regarding a piece of legislation related to emergency powers and, uh, you know, who is able to do what in the time of emergency. Uh, would you, maybe we should have started with this, but explain uh, for folks uh, the nuts and bolts of this, the 30 days, what happens at the culmination of those 30 days, and what this legislation would empower the legislature to do. Yeah, thanks for letting me do that. So essentially, we want to give both on a local level and on the government, less state government level, 30 days to do what they need to do. We certainly do not, absolutely do not want to disrupt what you might consider day-to-day actions, you know, whether it be a chemical spill here or an earthquake or a flood or something like that, something that has to, you know, you need immediate action. We don't want to disrupt that. We're only looking at long-term emergencies that go beyond 30 days. And so let's assume that the governor uh, declares uh, an emergency situation. First 30 days, he moves forward, he and his staff move forward, doing what they have to do with. And also with the same with the public health department. 
Uh, if it appears that that's going to be, be extended and it's going to be a long term, then he notifies the, the legislature and the speaker and the president can pull the body. If it appears that it's going to be extended for the next 30 days, they don't need to convene the new committee, which would include a lot of legislators and do the process that I mentioned. But as it moves on into the next 30 days, then it would require that committee to be to be empowered and to hold public hearings and take public take the expert testimony, take public input and those things, and then make recommendations to the legislature moving forward. Sure. At that point, the legislature can take a lot of different actions, could extend for a long time, a short time, terminate, all those things. And the, those 30 days uh, allows the, the governor uh, and those advising him in the executive branch to have you know, the, the nimble maneuverability uh, should something come on us fast and furious. Uh, and, and then, you know, as those 30 as that 30th day approaches, uh, you know, you, the legislature are uh, making plans and arrangements to to see what is what going forward. Fair. That's true. That's a good analysis. All righty. Listen, Senator Vickers, thank you so much for your time. I look forward to following the progress of this legislation and everything else you're uh, working on up there, both in your own office and the body at large. Uh, Thanks again for your time. Look forward to speaking to you again soon. No, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All righty. Uh, we're going to take a break here in just a moment. Before we do, though, uh, some new information coming regarding the uh, the crash in California, just outside of Los Angeles. Uh, and it is this, that Tiger Woods, when the crash happened, specifically when first responders arrived at the scene, the report is that he was both conscious and speaking uh, at the scene, which uh, we learned from authorities earlier required the jaws of life to remove him from the vehicle. He, the single occupant of the vehicle, only vehicle involved, crashed on a road just outside of Los Angeles. The update is that at 6 p.m. Eastern, so 4 o'clock Mountain, there will be a news conference hosted by the Sheriff's Department there on this incident regarding the crash uh, by Tiger Woods. Uh, re- further reports are that he right now is in hospital undergoing uh, surgery on his legs. That's where things stand now. Uh, Sheriff's Department there expected to speak at 4 o'clock Mountain Time today. We'll certainly bring you that coverage. Right now, though, quick break. When we return, we're going to talk about uh, the opportunities and the abilities you have to defend yourself in court if you need to defend yourself on the street. We'll explain next with Representative Lizenby here on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office to meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.